of the henchmen, if you like, of colonization is racism. And that comes in and the social inequity that that has caused, that the total extracting always from the global south is still in place today. In understanding it more fully does come the the healing that we need to to build a new type of way of being together and a more of a global governance that I think will enable us to share our resources more fairly and, and live in a much more balanced way on this earth. Whereas if you come at it with um, with fantastic storytelling, with optimism, joy, hope, um, possibilities, then we can inspire ourselves to to see what we can actually do. Hello and welcome to the Coconut Thinking Podcast. I'm your host, Benjamin Ford, and Happy New Year. We had a little bit of a hiatus at the end of last year for various personal reasons, including a move, which uh, took a huge amount of time, and I'm still in the middle of boxes. But we are so looking forward to being back with you. And today's guest is Cindy Ford. Cindy's career has been dedicated to transforming how we understand and act as human beings towards the earth. She works globally with leaders across sectors in education, communication, and sustainability, including University of Cambridge and the UN. And she believes that the biggest impact we can have in making change is how we go as a global community shape the mindset of our children. She published a book in 2022 entitled Bright New World. It was a children's book. Cindy is the founder of Planetari, which is an organization that sets out a new vision for education to enable all children to understand our planet as a living system and to have the capacity for creativity and innovation and to be able to live successfully here on planet Earth. And prior to Planetari, Cindy was the Cambridge Science Center as CEO and the Blue Marine Foundation as Managing Director. This is a wonderful conversation in its richness thanks to what Cindy brings, her multiple perspectives, her ability to think in systems, her ability to bring in history, social justice, racial justice, her life as the daughter of civil rights activists, which have bled into her present and her future, and also just a sense of where we are. I so enjoyed meeting Cindy. I so enjoyed this conversation. I hope you all too. Check us out, www.coconut-thinking.com. That's www.coconut-thinking.com. And I will leave space for my conversation with Cindy. Hi, Cindy. It's a real pleasure to have you on the podcast. This is the first episode of 2024. So, you know, I couldn't uh, be happier than to have you uh, as the guest. And uh, your name was kind of introduced to me. I kind of checked you out based on Rachel Musson, who's someone I really respect. And we spoke last year and we immediately got into some some really deep conversation. So I'm looking forward to this this particular uh, episode. I'll start with the question that we ask all our guests, which is, who are you and what story do you want to tell? Well, thank you so much for inviting me, uh, Ben. It's just lovely to be here and to open 2024 with such an engaging event. I'm, I'm really delighted to be part of that. Who am I? I just received an email this morning from a, a, a very dear friend called Christine McDougall, who's founding, who's heading up Syntropic World. And she said, are you a trim tab, a jitterbug or a syntropic Reb, a syntro rebel. And, and and as I read the description of these things, I thought maybe I'm all of these things. So her work is really based in Buckminster Fuller. So a trim tab is, 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 a, is a boat term when you make a tiny move, but it turns the whole boat. And I've been in some ways, my life has been about that. I've, you know, I grew, I grew up in an activist family. My parents came out of the 
civil rights movement and you know we um my mother was an environmentalist by my teens I'm working with the AN the London ANC to uh, you know to to build the protest against apartheid so there's these these trim tab pieces that that run through my life and then the jitterbug is people that dance with change I'm sure you all know uh, what that means um so by yeah I think in my early 20s I became aware that we really have to these things aren't disconnected environment uh, social justice, human rights, they're all part of a much bigger systemic um, set of outcomes because of you know, the way that our overarching economic model from colonization onwards has worked. Um, so the dancing with change piece has really been working out in my life how to do that. Where am I best equipped to, to make change? I've worked inside corporations and governments you know, through the emerging of the CSR uh, movement, but found that a very uncomfortable dance. I mean, I'm a storyteller, I'm a creative, and I find that I fit um, better outside of systems, really. Uh, and and so, so a lot of my work now is around telling new stories for Earth, which I think brings me to the Sintro rebel piece, which is, syntropy is um, a Buckminster Fuller term, really, when we work in alignment with the natural principles of universe. And so we build regenerative organisations, regenerative systems of governance, regenerative enterprises, which is very much what I'm trying to do now with my little organisation, Planetary, which exists to really look at what might education look like for a world with a future. How do we learn to move from being egocentric and anthropocentric to being ecocentric. So this is about Earth-led learning. And at the heart of this is um, telling new stories for Earth. We, we currently, I think, live on myths and legends and archetypes that are really competitive and violent and destructive, uh, where success looks like a few having dominated the many. And so we can shift from those kinds of stories to much more collaborative stories of, of well being where we understand as ourselves as part of a greater whole and we work together to keep our, our natural systems, including us, in balance. So I hope that gives you a little flavour of who I am. And, uh, it was just this morning those fantastic terms came in. And as we as we work in this space, having a new language, I think, is really helpful both to describe who we are, why we do what we do, and, and what it is indeed that we are trying to do. So I, I do like those terms, trim tab, um, jitterbug, and Sintro rebel. <laughs> I also appreciate uh, using those terms, but also launching into this idea of telling stories for Earth, not stories about, not stories of. I Before we get into that, and you mentioned the education piece as well, and of course we look at learning as well beyond just education. I'll ask a question. Um, I used to ask the question, how do you define learning? But then I, I got really uncomfortable with this idea of, of definition because it makes things definite. So. I'll go with what does learning mean to you? Well, um, yeah, thanks. It's, that's a, a, a great question. I mean, there's the there's my own journey of learning, which is you know hugely important for me, and then there's my external trying to shape what learning might look like for the human family, so that we can live, we can thrive here. Um, yeah, I think so much of learning is is focused on the external, how much information we know, how can we apply that, how which exams can we pass? And I, I think it's much more of um of an inner journey, really. I think everything does begin with yourself and that you're um, you know, if you're in a in a well-balanced place, um uh 
mind, body and spirit, then your then the learning occurs. I mean, I, I will have to um, put my hand up to say that I'm a, a yogi, I'm a yoga practitioner and a yoga teacher. And I just so uh, staggered about how much I changed the world around me by really beginning to understand what it could mean to change yourself and to take the learning of um yeah, of how you show up into the world, into the wider world, and have the confidence that those small changes, if you like, those trim tab shifts can actually change the world as it occurs around you. So I think for me, learning needs to be grounded in a, um, if you like, a spiritual understanding of why we're here, how we live in harmony with our wider systems. And then we have a much more respectful attitude to what kind of knowledge we think is valuable and how we apply that knowledge. And I think that will that leads us on a path where you know, in, a, in a moment of crisis for the human family, I think it's really critical that our learning is focused on how we thrive now as a human family. And I think it does begin with the spirit, both on my own internal journey and in the educate, the type of education and the stories that I'm you know, beginning to tell through my own organization. I'm really interested lately in contradictions and complementary contradictions and things that seem that they're opposites, but they're actually not. And I want to investigate this idea. You mentioned how you do to do these tiny moves for these big changes, like to turning the, the the boat in 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 significant directions. You you mentioned as well that with the jitterbug, that the dance that we have involves dance steps with the environmental, the social justice. They're, they're all connected. So we shouldn't really create these uh, divisions between them. How do we go about making these tiny moves for these massive issues that it's all comes together. And, and I guess the entry point to the question could be from the tiny moves point of view or from the systemic point of view. I mean, I don't really, um, I, I could see how we can, we can enter them both, but, but how do we play with this idea that it's actually so incredibly overwhelming to realize that climate breakdown, biodiversity loss, social injustice, history, future, it's all entangled into one. How do we get over that overwhelming feeling with those tiny steps? Yeah, well, I think, again, another huge and important question. Um, I do think that, and I, I don't have any answers at all. I mean, I have mm -hmm. my own views. So, you know, thank you for inviting me to um, to share my views. I do, um, and I think you hit, hit on something that was in the, the tiny steps piece. I think, again, that tuning in to yourself and having a, a, a strong sense of where, you know, you can be most effective at making change, whether it's as a storyteller, whether it's as a, you know, as an educator, I think educators, educators are amazing storytellers, whether it's designing new systems of government, governance, every, everybody's got some, it's just been an extremely good parent, you know, everybody's got their own um, special gift. And I think sometimes we're so pushed out of shape by um, the, by social or societal expectations of us, a lot of people barely are able to take the time to breathe and sit with themselves and, and see where it is that they can actually make the, the most um, authentic contribution from who they are. But so I think if you can, if you have the luxury, which I feel incredibly grateful to have, 
of working from that point, then it's, it is, you get up every day and you know that you're doing what you can. It's a small step. It's a small piece, of, but of a much bigger dance, as you, as you say, um, Benjamin. And so in some ways that takes away the overwhelm because we can't, all of us can't solve all of this, but we can take a small piece and say, this is my piece. You know, I'm going to tell new stories. So the next generation that rise up have a different worldview. And then when they decide what they're going to be in the world, whether it's astrophysicists or hairdressers, you know, they'll know how to do that in line with the planetary boundaries. So, you know, I think that's really important to um, to have that sense of, of feeling okay to work from the place that that most suits you but I do think it does come back you know you touched on a very important thing there on the history that we're told because we are um every society makes its own myths and legends and um, sometimes it's very hard to recognize those when they're extremely dominant I mean I'm I'm my my uh, part of my heritage is Guyanese in South America, a former British colony, and part of my heritage is um, Celtic. So I call myself an Afro-Celt. And um, I'm my on my mother's side. I'm Welsh. You know, again, Wales was a country that was terribly, um, you know, oppressed and colonised by the, the by the English. So the story that I grew up with from both of my sets of heritage, they don't really make sense to us because they tell of this glorious land, land of hope and glory, mother of the free. And in history, you learn, you know, you learn the great deeds of the Brit- the English kings and the British kings. But when you look at somebody from your somebody from South America or from Guyana or from Wales, these you have to have your own sets of myths and legends to make sense of who you are in the world. The dominant cultural narrative erases huge amounts of history because it isn't convenient to remember that your empire was built on extreme cruelty, on you know, on genocide, on slavery. And when these things are taken out of the public consciousness, then the other actions that that you know that our governments are um, embroiled in or or take, they just don't, even even immigration. You know, so many people just still don't understand why there's such mass movement of people around the world. Some of it is related to earlier colonization by you know by the by the Western powers, and some of it now is related to climate change, which does link back to the destruction of Earth systems, which happened during that period of colonization. And I won't spend too long on that because it's a huge subject. But without that ancestral knowledge of us as a human family, what's happening now doesn't make sense. So it's very hard to to, to have a worldview that encompasses more, you know, more perspectives of, of who we are and what, what we each bring as, as members of this family. So you get this horrible divisiveness, which is really not helpful at the moment when we have to do everything we can to pull together. So while I think that, um, that there's, yes, there is that exploration of self, you know, where do you think that you can be most effective in working? I think there's also an exploration of us, of human, so that you ha- be as, as well informed as you possibly can about how we got here, because in that lie the answers of how to get out of here as well to a much more positive place. And so this brings up, so this, there's a lot of directions we can, we can go here. And I love this, I, I, <laughs> this idea that you're bringing about convenience, um, this, this idea of convenience when it comes to the dominant narrative, that, that comfortable blanket that is the dominant narrative where we're just going to go with it. And, and it's really, um, I mean, that's, you know, it's, it's, it doesn't require resistance. We just kind of go along with, with the flow. I, I I want to, before we go into that, I, I want to explore this idea of inner and outer, where, and again, going to these complementary 
contradictions. That, like people, some people think that there's a binary there, and that we shouldn't have a binary. It's no inner and outer, and and you know, but but I think it's a lot more nuanced than that. What what are what are your 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 views on on this inner work, this outer work, how they come together in terms of just low work? Well, I think they are, they are you know, I, I didn't mean to say, them, but I think polarity is quite good, actually. Without polarity, you get collapsed. You know, there has to be a tension between, um, you know, be, be different ideas and different ways of being, if everything's the same, you'll just get this collapse. So there's a difference between, I would say, between polarity and, and binary, uh, because, you know, polarity can be pull us in, 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 in many different directions, not just two. The inner and outer work, though, in a way, that's more fractal, I would say, if we're going to use terms from nature, because the pattern that you create in your inner world is the one that plays out in your outer world. So if you take that, if you take the time, you know, as, a, as I say, as a yogi, every morning you're on your mat practicing, it really is practicing, you know, you practice to, um, uh, you, you actually practice to, you know, to bring the qualities that you want to, you know, the, your best self into your um, into your outer world. I mean, you, you certainly don't succeed every day. I get on my mat at probably about seven o'clock in the morning. Sometimes by eight thirty, I've you know I've I've blown it. But um, but it's that there's that conscious decision to to unite the two. You know, to you know you 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 practice. You're aware of the of things that are important to your guiding principles and you bring them through the asanas or through your uh, meditation practices and those are those are your guides if you like for how to show up in the world and so that informs the outer pattern that you develop whether it's within your own family or whether it's in your wider community or whether the type of work that you decide to do it becomes very hard to act to do things that you know are in violation of those principles and of course different stories birth different purposes, different purposes birth different stories, uh, all, all in some oscillating process that works. What are some of the stories that you would like to tell in terms of, I mean, we, we touched a little bit about, about this, but in terms of those connections between in, you know, ecological breakdown, where before the recording, we talked about, you know, the, the snow and uh, that, that, that's not falling down and, and the cold that actually is still part of climate change. And, 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 what is it about those processes of social injustice that are connected to ecological breakdown? And I mean that more in terms of the, the biodiversity and, and climate um, piece of ecological breakdown. Um, well, I'll come back to the stories, um, Benjamin. But I think, you know, the, the thing that isn't taught widely in schools, I think people are getting more, becoming more aware of it now as we try to solve those problems, is the profound link between colonization and climate change. I think Amitav Ghosh does this brilliantly in his book, The Nutmeg Curse, uh, because he goes back to the, I think the, you know, the 1700s with the, the, you know, the disaster that fell the, befell the Bander Islands because they had this fantastic thing called the nutmeg, you know, which the Dutch absolutely had been trading happily for, you know, for centuries. And then the Dutch, you know, the first act of large scale genocide to found a colony, the Dutch says, you know, we want the whole lot, you know, get off the island or we'll kill you all. And the, the, the band of people just couldn't believe this would happen. So they stayed and fought and they were unfortunately all massacred and the Dutch took over the trade of the, um, of the nutmeg. But during that, the process of, you know, of colonization for, to control resources, whole, swathes of earth where biodiversity, the diversity, the ecosystems of earth were ripped out. If you think of the scale that that happened on everywhere, you know, I've talked about, so that went right across Indonesia, 
as America became, you know, the new world, the um, the forests that had the forest ecosystems that had stained the First Nations people, they were all ripped out to make, you know, to make agricultural land, which is a, was a you know kind of ecocide. And then you've got the plantation systems, the, the actual cotton and tobacco plantation systems that, that get put in in the south of the United States. All across the Caribbean, the indigenous people are ordered, murdered. The Taino people, that's from my part of the world there, but, you know, by an estimate, 8 million at the beginning of the pre-Columbian era. But within 15 years, they were reduced to 200 and then all the land and the stewarding of the land gets ripped out. The the the, um, the sugar plantations get put in there. The same thing happens in Australia when Australia was colonised. The Aboriginal people again, who steward the land there, pushed into you know some in some cases almost obliterated, and the land is transformed for agricultural farming. So all around planet Earth, you've got this intense ripping up of ecosystems that have provided that are essentially our life support systems they you know they 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 they're the carbon sinks they're the home of the biodiversity the human beings that get ripped out with them are also were the people who knew how to steward that land so this is um, shifting earth's makeup on a scale that has never been seen before in a very very short period of time and this is over taking place over two 200 300 years and then on top of that you get the industrial revolution where you get this massive amounts of carbon that now go and so earth has this absolute body blow in a very very you know you've seen the graphs of where the um the, the carbon emissions just rise like a hockey stick so it is, and then the henchmen of of the enabling, the genocides really that 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 led that that, that made the the um the uh the colonization possible. You had to demonize these people. You had to go back to your good Christian countries and tell the story that you were doing this for the the great of the you know, for the glory of God, for the enlightenment, for the you know the, this is when you get the doctrine of white supremacy that starts to come in with with you know with the with the enlightenment. Philosophy really does have that at heart. It says that um, you know we must go out on this civilizing mission. We must we must um, convert these these savages. We must ennoble them, enlighten them. I mean, this is the white man's burden. And so you you say that you're doing this for the greater good. You've got these inferior type of humans. That it's really okay to to kill on on large scales. It's really okay to enslave them because they're lesser types of humans. So the whole doctrine of the henchmen, if you like, of colonization is racism. And that comes in and the social inequity that that has caused, that the total extracting always from the global south is still in place today. Uh, you know, still more of African G- GDP comes out of Africa. Uh, the wealth, more wealth comes out of Africa than is, is then remains in. You only need to look at the cocoa trade for that, even fair trade. You know, that's only paying farmers a few more pennies that makes life just about bearable. Whereas look at the, the millions, that the billions that has made it out of the chocolate industry. So the, 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 it's, so much of it is laid down in the ideology of conquest and domination and enriching of these European superfans. Nearly all the wars that were fought at that time were fought over control of the colonies. And But the, but the surrounding myth of that has been to make to, to justify this in terms you know of, of glory and of, of building these great empires because it was the noble and the Christian thing to do. So we're so tangled up in wanting to believe one story and now this exposure as our climate collapses because this is just not a sustainable way to live here by constantly extracting, extracting to extinction and you know, at the expense of huge 
huge numbers of the human family as well. That's just now imploding. And so we're having to look more closely at actually what did happen. And, um, you know, and it's, it's a very painful thing to do on, on all sides. But I think it's a, a critical story to, that needs to be told with really without blame, without because it's not you did the bad thing and we were the goodies. It's just what happened to us as a human family. And we have to understand that and, and heal and look forward so that we can, you know, build new systems that, that prevent us the more um, the resources become scarce, the more movement of humans it is. We're seeing this horrible move to popularism to the far right because people, you know, it's almost a scream against this story. We have to protect what's ours, build bigger boundaries, build bigger walls, exclude more people. And that's just, I think it's going into the opposite direction of where the solutions uh, will be found. But it's a very painful, it's a very painful thing that happened to us as, as human families. It's not a nice story to to hear, but in 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 understanding it more fully does come the the healing that we need to to build a new type of way of being together and you know, more of a global governance that I think will enable us to share our resources more fairly and, and live in a much more balanced way on this earth. And listening to you, I think of this idea, I go back to this word that you say of convenience and the stories that we uncover are scary stories, frightening stories that destabilize us, that make us really question some of the pillars on which our reality is is built this like you said this you know be it france united states or whatever global north country that's absolutely um has has always done good and always wanted to spread democracy and, and positive values and human rights across the world this this wonderful like you said um child of the enlightenment I, I, I think of Donna Haraway, who says we should stay with the trouble i think of bio akamolafe who says that we need to sit and live within the cracks. And that actually, rather than running from the pain, we need to sit with it and, and, and really take it on, not as good as bad or bad, just, just to look at it, talk, and as you mentioned, heal. And yet, because of this idea that there's a pleasure pain principle, or that we, you know, we, we go towards pleasure and avoid pain, we we kind of struggle with this. And, and then I go back to what you're saying about the inner work, that that sitting there and really just saying, Let's slow down again, as Bayouakamlafe would say. Let's let's slow down, and 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 take it all in. It is 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 a is a difficult process, but one that we you know that 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 we have to 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 go through, and and calling it for what it is as well, sitting with that trouble. Yeah, I um yeah I, I really um I I couldn't agree more um than the um the. Uh, Ben Okri, who's written about this a lot, you know, he has a lot of his works around, you know, he says the response to our most urgent threat requires new forms of creativity and human imagination. We can only make a future from the depth of the truth we face now. And, uh, you know, it, it is that, it is the having that honesty with ourselves to, to go to these places which we've done everything we can to blot out of our human story. And, um, and yeah, until we actually understand those then it is it, hard to understand you know the, the the what we need to do next because we're so riven by these divisions or these different ways everybody will always have ways of of different ways of seeing but um but you know but to have some shared understanding of the multiple perspectives i think is critical to um you know to to finding collaborative ways forward. And if if we don't do that, then um, it makes it the job that we have to do now is infinitely harder. 
And this this is the point actually that I was um, um, hoping to get to um, is that in our desire to make the world a better place, and you hinted at this, you actually did more than hint at it. You were quite explicit about it. It's not a, a blame game. It's not a, a an opposition game. And so often in these radical movements, these revolutionary movements, there's been so much internal fighting that it's gone nowhere. And I'm, I'm, you know, I, I'm the first one to say, look, I screw up all the time. I make assumptions all the time that are wrong, and that probably I shouldn't have because of misinformation. But it's probably just because I just don't know. It comes out of ignorance, or comes out of not appreciating, or not having thought about a different perspective. But there's an openness there. And I had a conversation the other day with someone who was saying, unless you're talking about Gaza, you know, like this is irrelevant. And 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 I and I feel that I get that. But then I think about the six million in Sudan who are on the brink of starvation, the the the, the folks in, in Eritrea who are also being ethnically cleansed. And I don't want to have a hierarchy. I'm not discounting Gaza. I'm not doing anything like that. But again, I, I just feel like um it, it's it's it shouldn't be single issue, but we come at it at an entry point where we can. But more importantly, let's all hold each other without this opposition and 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 help each other understand learn more rather than attack each other if we might not have seen all the different perspectives yeah i to- totally agree um benjamin sometimes you know our own life stories you know i'm as guilty as that as the next person they're so painful and hard you know you think well this is the most important thing you know if people don't understand that then how can they have a valid have had a view, you know, you need to understand race to have any understanding of climate change. And, and, and really, I think you just have to, um, you know, I think that this can be so destructive to building the bridges that we need. Nobody's got a monopoly on the truth. Nobody's got a monopoly on the most painful, the worst experience. It, it, it is it is that trying to broaden out. I think Mother, Mother Teresa did say, you know, we've drawn the circle of our human family too small. And that, that's it. Now we need to draw it, just widen it and widen it so it does include Eritrea, Sudan, what's happening in Gaza, what's happening in Afghanistan, what's happening in Syria, what's happening in Yemen, you know, what's happening all over the world. I mean, obviously, because of the power bases, some of these conflicts dominate more in the in our psyche in the public psyche in the news and so it's easy to think that's the only thing that's happening you know enough in the uk that what happened in afghanistan the fall of the taliban and the absolute dreadful situation of the women disappeared so quickly because the ukraine war happened immediately after that which is also utterly dreadful but there's a there's a much more sense of, of of family with people from Europe, from Ukraine, that people shared that more than they did with people of Afghanistan, which is kind of heartbreaking, but that's you know, that's what happened. And um and they're all and the links between the reasons for the conflicts, you know, I know you have to go quite wide to see them, but they are there are clear links. But um so I think yeah, I as as if we can, the more we can have empathy for for the wider family of humans the more we were able to see that you know that one one conflict doesn't deserve more care sympathy concern but money than the other and in, in solving them all i mean that the what's happening in gaza is is so terrible but it's almost like you know one of the most horrible misunderstandings in human history really but yeah I think that it is so important that we don't compete for 
um, you know, for dominance of, of, of one, one, one cause being more important than the other and, and don't judge each other if we don't have the not the background knowledge of, you know, that, that somebody of a particular habit of, of one set of circumstances or situation, maybe we don't have it of another because it makes people frightened to speak as well. If that, if, you know, if you feel you're going to be judged by what you don't know, then you just get people ignorantly spouting what they think they know or lying about the truth because they're not prepared to be seen to be wrong. And the, the the risk here, because I'm about to extend it to the 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 more than human world, to the other than human world, in terms of you mentioned ecocide earlier, like the devastation that's going on to our plant and and mammal and bird and reptile kin, and, and we don't want to get overwhelmed by any of that. It goes back to the initial conversation. We don't want to get overwhelmed, but we just have to appreciate that it's a bigger story. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm reading a book at the moment called The Secret Life of Trees. I mean, I don't know why it's taken me so long to to read it, but it is just so revelatory in the way it's just a completely different time scale. But almost everything that's happening in a, in a human family is happening to these trees in the way that they interconnect and form communities and look after their own. And, you know, and it is, it is, but it is exactly that. The far, further and further out you go, the more and more uh, things are connected. Now, I know you could probably go to the, the point of in, insanity that, you know, you can't, eat anything or you can only breathe air but i it, but i think there is an an an, an importance of being aware of that yes we have to live within the confines of the species that we are with the human community that we're in but but being able to see these broader connections which are really the connections that sustain us all then um then you know then i think that we have a a, a different philosophy of, of on the world which will help us to live more successfully here ultimately yeah I mean, I think this human story that humans are most important and you've got 81 billionaires, I think it is, that own 50% of... Of, of the of the more than fifty percent that that is just not a success story. What an ugly family that that represents. Can you imagine if that was in your home when you had, you know, a brother or a sister sitting upstairs with absolutely everything and said, "He's a really successful brother or sister," and then downstairs everybody else is starving. You'd say you have the absolute worst family in the world. But somehow on this this bigger scale, we 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 see that as success and the, and the um. And the and the, the side effects of that success are, you know, are we the, the, the poverty, the inequality that you have in the human family, but also the destruction of our natural world. So if you, you know if you you look at it in the abstract, it's absolutely insane what we are calling, you know, a, a, a successful story and the philosophies that we have that lead us to that worldview. They're, they're, bonkers and we have so much knowledge now as humans even this thing being able to look at you know how trees operate or how the ocean works we know that which we didn't know maybe even 50 years ago so you know we have to evolve according to what our wider consciousness is is now feeding into our you know ability to um to make sense of our world let's take this and not separate it in terms of a part two, because that's not really what it is, because it's all connected. But I really want to get into your work and what you're doing then to tell these different stories, these stories for Earth, um, the planetary. What, what is it exactly 
that your point of contribution is? Well, so I, you know, having looked at where I think I can be most effective, you know, the, the place that I love to, the space I love to be in most is this place of imagination and creativity. You know, it's something that funnily, you know, when you think, oh, that's things that come naturally to you, something oh, they're not really worth very much. They're not that important. You know, I can do this so quickly. But, but actually I came to realize and everything that I did, that's the thing that I brought most, whether it was in a much more defined corporate space or a government thing, you know, that just finding that way of telling the story or, or another of, 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 you know, bringing some some delightful creativity to it opens the, opens it. And, and we're faced with this um, really difficult story to tell, you know, in a way it's a, it's a thrilling story, but in a way it's terrifying that how do we get out of this very difficult moment in our human history and our world history, as you say, it's much wider connected. So I think if we come out of that with gloom and doom and terror and fear, we'll, we'll end up with paralysis. Whereas if you come at it with, um, with fantastic storytelling, with optimism, joy, hope, um, possibilities, then we can inspire ourselves to to see what we can actually do here. And my um, the focus of most of my work is really with young children, with children, young people. And I think that you know they have there's nothing they can do about the moment that they've landed on Earth. And in some times, in some ways, it is a terrifying time but it is also I say to them look you've landed at an incredibly um, exciting time because who else gets to learn how to fly a small planet and this is exactly what we need to learn now so I am I I create the or with planetary we're in the process of creating an actual curriculum if you like which looks at what are the key things that we're going to know and and, you know you can some to some extent you can draw those from the planetary boundaries or the UN sustainable development goals because we actually know where we're putting the biggest pressures on our system our food systems our transport systems our um our energy systems you know how we educate women so you know you can actually start to build learning around these pressure points and so that you you know how to defuse the pressure by transitioning from you know fossil fuels to renewable energy from from industrial farming to you know much more ecologically balanced ways of eating and and raising the food that we eat all these things the things that are now our biggest problems can become our part of the solution so making it very clear for children how that can happen but at the same time teaching a um creating a world view if you like like a, a mindset that makes this possible. So instead of stories that have at heart, as Ben Opry says so brilliantly in one of his new uh, pieces in his new work, Climate uh, Tiger Works, is, you know, in some ways we have this um, destruction and death, destruction, co- competition, domination at the root of our dreams. That's what we're taught in our school system, in our political system. It's like get ahead as a country, as a person, as a, as a, as a corporate, as a business, you know, winning, dominating is winning. And so we're moving away from this to um, to a, a worldview where the stories are about, you know, a collaboration, are about working together, are about understanding our wider connections. You don't see, you know, sometimes when you see young 
I don't know who's taught them to do it when they see an insect and the insect, you know, the thing is to pull its legs off and to squash it. And if you understood that insect as something that was doing a really important job, you might not know what it is, but it is sure as hell doing something important. Then your instant reflex might be to observe it and work out what it's trying to do. So at the same time, we're building, you know, more mainstream, if you like, educational resources. We're also looking at playing in the space of fiction, whether that's story novels verse ultimately would love to work in film and animation but a really high level of of illustration of production values which the children have all around them but instead of telling these stories of you know of death and destruction and despair we're telling these stories of um you know of, of collaboration of this wonderful world that we can co-create that we can make visible um you know when we when we see things differently yeah and it makes me think of this entire narrative, you know, of the selfish gene of the fact that we are all self-serving and so forth. When and that's human nature to be selfish, when it's also human nature if you even want to go there, which is a, a, another conversation altogether. That it, to love, to care, to cherish, to nurture, to work together. To work together. Absolutely, I, I I couldn't agree with you more, Benjamin. I don't think it is. I mean, I don't think it is. I think there's all different aspects of of what make us us human. But I think that they are, um, you know, we wouldn't be where we are. We wouldn't, you and I wouldn't be having this conversation. The green school wouldn't exist. So many things wouldn't exist if our we'd have killed ourselves long ago. If if it was on in our nature just to dominate and destroy and to 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 to, to, to think. I think those are very, you know, they're very uh, dominant in how we're taught to behave because everybody's terrified that if they don't behave that way, they don't won't do well enough at school, they won't have a good enough job, you know, they won't have the big company. And and, and it creates a structure where those elements are very much rewarded. You know, the more dominant person is more likely to be the president or the run the, you know, you you know that well enough, I'm sure, that they that the um the heads of CEOs and and head politicians often have the same profile as psychopaths. You know, they're not really very nice qualities that put you at the top of the system. But but in balance of that, there's so many of us that are going, hold on a minute, this isn't what we want. So we're always tempering it with these other qualities that have kept us going, I think, to this point. And I think what we're realizing now is unless those qualities become dominant, some people are more dominant, given more space. You know, some people will refer that to as the d- divine feminine. I don't think whether it matters whether you're a man or a woman, you know, those qualities of nurturing, of care, of collaboration are the ones that we really now need to emphasize to um to counterbalance the last few hundred years of, of a dominator model, which has brought us to the brink of extinction. I'll ask you just a couple more questions. And the first one is, let's imagine that we are a listener walking around uh, and listening to this podcast and we're about to finish the podcast. We press stop. What is it that this person could do in X amount of span of time, either a moment or a year or a lifetime or whatever it might be? What, what, What is something that's tangible? Well, I think the most, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a cliche really, but, you know, be yourself. If you're listening to this podcast, you probably, you probably know that you carry some special gift, some superpower that might, you might already be, have let it loose in the world, or you might be thinking, you know, I could really do that, but, but sit with yourself and, and think, what is that thing that I have that I bring that I can now 
share because it's not something oh, I shouldn't be self-promoting something, but share with my with my wider family so that we can have a chance of of of, of walking forward together into a more harmonious place. And I, I really would advise it is worth it just taking that moment to sit with yourself and 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 be true to yourself and and, and see what it is that you can joyfully work with in the days of your life to to help make this a much more you know a happier ending to our human story last question is there anything else you'd like to add it's a little bit the etc section it's something that's on your mind what's on your horizons just whatever that might be well i'd like to end with this beautiful quote from um the Donna Bravebull Allard, who's one of the activists, she's a historian and activist at Standing Rock. And she said, she says, the, the shared vision for humanity exists whether we see it or not. Our task is to become receptive for it, to see it, make it visible and activate it using all means of communication so our, that our collective imagination will no longer be driven by dreams of destruction and downfall, but elevated by the possibility of worldwide healing and unification. That's beautiful. I think we'll do a mic drop there. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Sydney. I really appreciate your time. Yeah. Thank you so much, Ben. It was it was such a pleasure to be on the um on the podcast and to be part of your absolutely fantastic community for a few moments this morning. This has been the Coconut Thinking Podcast. Thank you for listening. I'm your host, Benjamin Freud, and we look forward to more episodes that are lined up. Check us out, www.coconut-thinking.com. That's www.coconut-thinking.com. And our partners at Intrepid News, www.intrepidnews.com. Speak to you soon. Bye-bye.